Que pasa, Mufasa? Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast, a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm Dennis Walker, and today we have got a legit rock star on the podcast. And I don't say that lightly. Ben Wyeth is an emotional wellness and spiritual life coach from New York City. He's also an extraordinary songwriter and musician who has quite literally scaled the heights of the music industry. Having played sold out shows from Tokyo to New York, from Sydney to Paris, and hundreds of cities in between, while on tour with the band Hockey, which he founded and fronted for around a decade. That was also before a lot of my contact in like with like spirituality and self-development. Like I was still more like lost in my sort of ego wants and my like trying to be cool rock star vibes. Like that's kind of like what I wanted. I didn't know there was more to life. I personally saw Hockey at Coachella in 2010, and I still consider Ben's vocal performance that day to be one of the most impressive live vocal performances I've ever seen. Between 2009 and 2010, Ben became a fixture on the world's biggest stages, from major festivals like Glastonbury, Bonnaroo, and Lollapalooza, to sold-out stadium concerts across Europe and the United States, sharing the stage with major pop acts like Pink and Portugal the Man, to late-night television performances on The Jules Holland Show and Spin Magazine Rooftop Party. As the relentless international touring, high-stakes pressures of life in the spotlight, and the band's meteoric musical successes gradually gave way to Ben's plummeting sense of confidence and self-worth, he unintentionally threw it all away. In the years since, he spent the better part of the last decade lost and searching for himself, and in doing so, has undergone a profound personal and spiritual transformation. Today, Ben is going to walk us through some of the insights that he's gleaned from all of it, with a special focus on strategies for living in the here and now, tapping into the flow state, and nourishing our innate creativity and emotional wellness. So let's get this show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Ben Wyatt. What's up, man? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. Hell yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I gotta let you know that I've really been enjoying your rooftop soliloquies, your motivational Instagram stories, and here's why. So much of the content that I see in my feed is very manicured and very packaged. And I really like how you're just up there flowing. And so let's start with that, man. What inspired you to start putting your voice back out there and sharing your story and your motivational uh, coaching practices with the world? Yeah, I mean, I've done that kind of thing on and off. But let's see. I mean, for me, it's just like this kind of consistent push to like coming out of my shell and just becoming more like having more fun just talking about things that inspire me and like letting go of being perfect like you said being packaged just like planting seeds having fun just like for the joy of it you know and this that i'm so i've been so steeped in that stuff just like self-development spirituality is like my love it my passion love it so it's like why not just plant some seeds and then keep doing what i'm doing for the rest of the day you know what i mean so i appreciate that and it's a nice way to wake up too I'm, i've been watching all the stories for sure and i actually downloaded your ebook recently i jumped on your mailing list so we're going to link the, oh, the mailing sorry. list, your coaching practice um, to the podcast. 
But I got to know, what's the origin story of the dog? I think he does have a name, and I was looking for it. But I love the dog, your central character in it. What's his story? Uh, Denver, the life coaching dog. Yeah, that was um, just a little cre creature I came up with. I like to draw. I got all these, like, markers around here I draw. And then this little creature came up. And it's just, like, a nice little central figure that I can do. little, like, just explore life coaching themes, spiritual themes. And just, you know, it's nice to have that same little kind of um, thread tying it through. So that dog came to me one day. I've always loved the like New York cityscapes, even since I was like a kid, you know, and so it just sort of clicked and that's, yeah, I've been having fun with, uh, with that. So you've been living in a bunch of different cities. I remember uh, first turning on to your work back in 2007 and you were living, uh, you were a student at University of Redlands, I believe the Johnston yeah. School there, which my yeah. uncle went to and Redlands is a family school for me. My grandparents went there, my brother, sister-in-law, all that fun stuff. Wow. And then I know that uh, hockey blew up in about, was it 2009, 2008, around there, and you ended up yeah. in Portland. Yeah. What took you to New York City? I grew up in New York City, so this is, I'm back home. But West Coast was my trip, like, out when I went to school there, and then we just stayed on the West Coast. So that was just a whole part of my life where I was, you know, on the other side of the country from where I grew up. And then I came back home. Um, Actually, I just came back home maybe like a year ago. Like I was in LA for another state. I've just keep moving. I haven't like put down my own roots of like life yet. So I keep moving, but I've been in New York again for about a year. Sweet. Well, I mean, you're no stranger to moving around a lot because hockey was touring incessantly for a period of time. And I saw you guys at Coachella in 2010. Honestly, one of my highlights yeah. of that weekend for sure. Um, I also saw you in San Diego. I remember at the soda bar, a little tiny bar. And that was in that other iteration of hockey when you released the follow-up album, Wyeth Is, which I've got some of those bangers on my playlist right now. We're gonna link some of the music too. Let's talk about, so this is a mushroom podcast, right? And in our dialogues, yeah, yeah. I just figured you had some connection to mushrooms because just your whole spiritual development and that process and your creative process, I, I, I hear a lot of sort of psychedelic themes and overtones in your lyricism and a lot of this flow state ethos and detaching from outcomes and detaching yourself from your ego. I'd love to just use that as a launch point. When I was approaching you and asked you if you want to be on the podcast, you mentioned how you've only tried mushrooms one time. Was it a positive, meaningful experience for you? And is it something you've ever considered revisiting? Yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. It was my I think it was my third time with psychedelics. Like the other two times with with acid, and then yeah, I was with my friends. I was in New York City, two of my like great friends, and it was it was amazing. It, I, I'm trying to think. I was a little bit like. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was like um, just so fun. It just like tapped me into the. It taps me into like just the magic of life, just like the simplicity, kind of that stuff that I like to talk about sometimes on the roof. You know, just uh, like sitting on the street. Like my friends go off to get water. I'm waiting there a second, just like this is amazing. I'm just here in the street. Like this is great. And then my friends come back and we're talking. And it just like you know restores the freshness of life, sort of that newness and that just magic quality. It's so fun, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of people are getting in touch with that because. There's so many tired tropes in a lot of popular culture right now. And it's kind of overwhelming, to be honest, right? You see, and I think this is maybe why we're seeing such a rise in people starting to connect with these, with mushrooms and with other psychedelics is they're finding that outlet. They're finding that reconnection to the newness of life, as you phrased it. So yeah. I, I was pretty sure you had some connection to psychedelics because your songwriting and your lyrics have this heavy flow state ethos to them. And I'm a, a big fan of the recent output, your your singles, Pop Out City, and more specifically, I love that song, Burning Up on Reentry. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. whole lyric about, you bring me back to earth, 
and my header is in the clouds, carry me away. I don't think you have to, you know, have a psychedelic connection to tap into that, but I just think there's some overlap there. So what's your core songwriting process like? How do you get in that creative wheelhouse and remain there? Yeah, that's a good question. It's like back in the days at, 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 um, when I was younger, some of the songs that took off hockey, it was also be weed involved for the best songs because that I was a very, very shy person actually back in, in college and I was doing music because that was a way to kind of get out of my shell and meet people or like be out in the world, but I was still kind of shy. So I wanted that music structure in front of me. So, but when I was younger, yeah, I would smoke weed and it would get me out of my head and I'd be like, oh, I can like say all this crazy stuff and flow and like, you know, flow is so key that you said that because it's like you get to say all this stuff. Then maybe you say some stupid stuff for like 30 minutes, 30 seconds, and then, but you're flowing and you're having fun and then you get on another wave where like, you, you know, you say something that feels meaningful or right for you, you know? So that flow is key. And like for me now, I've just learned to do it just without that I just like I just don't give a fuck what I'm saying like I just like I'll let myself be completely embarrassed to myself for a while and then some cool stuff shows up and then I'm embarrassing again and then it shows so I just throw it out and I can just like oh it's so fun like I you know like make noise say things that aren't even words like how will roar it's like not me that's gonna do it it never was you know when I come up with it is you know it's not like my ego like crafting something i'm just in life you know so I'm, i felt that i feel that within myself now without um I don't, not without taking a psychedelic or a drug but the drugs are also fun too i mean i'm not against doing that also you know you know something you mentioned right now uh kind of resonated with me with i think it was paul mccartney was talking about some of his songwriting process and they'll he'll just phrase melodies he won't say words but like Da -da -dee -da 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 -da. and then you get it on record and you go back yeah. and start replacing and i think that's such a beautiful place to come from because you're sort of a conduit at that point right and right. Th this whole idea of like i need to sit down and i need to write a song i don't know that it necessarily works that way it's like you got to write a bunch of songs and then eventually you know the laws of funnels one of them's going to pop out and it's going to take off yeah Just, speaking of songwriting you have another album i believe you're working on uh, the tentative title may be The Last Days of the Ego. Is that correct? And can you tell us yeah. about that? Yeah, that's it. So it's um, I, the next single is actually coming out on June 4th. Um, so and then and then the album. Yeah, it's done. I'm actually like it's done. And then I just need to I need to find the album cover. So I need to go like I think on Friday we're going to go around and try and take some pictures. I thought it'd be out by now, but that, I'm just sort of waiting on that. And yeah, that's just an album that kind of built up after just yeah, just based on like stuff about where I am. I was in LA writing it. I was playing on the street, performing with that sign that said like free life coaching, let's talk and like meeting people and performing some of the songs that will be on the album. And it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just the next thing. It's like my, some of my own stuff that I wrote just alone. Some of it's collaborative. It's just like another wild stuff. It's a little bit like a back to like the OG hockey album in a sense, because it just goes all over the place genre wise. It's not like it's got a bunch of different like moods that are on it. Sure, I would love to, to dive further into that and the different iterations of your songwriting process and career. And I found it really interesting to see the difference between Mind Chaos, which was a major label album in every sense of the word, and then the follow-up, Wyeth Is, was very much a, it felt like more of a DIY project, and I think it was. And I think from my perspective, a lot of the songwriting was very similar, but the whole like packaging and the promotion and all of that, you really saw the difference between a major label and like the independent artist hustle. What was that like for you making that transition? Did you feel like you had more creative freedom, but maybe that came at the expense of not having as much publicity and whatnot? Yeah, um, let's see, that was, I mean, yeah, we, we, 
that was also before a lot of my contact and like with like spirituality and self-development like I was still more like lost in my sort of ego wants and my like trying to be cool rock star vibes like that's kind of like what I wanted I didn't know there was more to life a little bit like you're like mushrooms are a great way for people to open up their minds like whoa there's more than I thought you know um, so I was still in that zone number one, I would say. But um, yeah, like then from that hockey journey, number one, like being on the major label, we were like putting out things that didn't feel in alignment with ourselves sometimes, like the music videos or things would feel sort of cheesy or not right to us. And then some of it we liked and that whole thing. And then it kind of got us in a sort of a negative mind state back then. We were just sort of. I don't know, like, yeah, I was a little bit, like, hating on, like, my voice. I was in a little bit of a negative space when I was making that album, like, looking back on it. But I still, like, some cool stuff came through as we were processing it. But it was a little bit more of, like, a, there was a lot of, like, self-denial. Like, even, like, the way I sing on that album, I don't know if you noticed, like, I, it's kind of cool. But it doesn't sound exactly like myself. I'm, like, kind of being very... I like, I don't know, I kind of denied some of the more like flowy ways that I sing or like words, just word, like talking, singing, character side of my voice. Um, and again, like it kind of produced a cool effect, but it, it was a little, it was less fun. I had a lot less fun making that album. Well, it looks like you're back to having fun making music and yeah. we're all the beneficiaries of that. So very much looking forward to future creative outputs awesome. on your behalf. Let's talk a little bit about this really wild phase you were in with Brand the Band. I don't know how many people have connected with that, but I was paying attention and I remember this super far out music video, maybe in Joshua Tree or something it looked like. And there was like a, a burned down house and you were, you were on one, dude. Tell us a little bit about that iteration and chapter yeah. of your musical career. Wow, I love that. Yeah, that's like a secret like chapter in a sense. And like I sometimes I watch that video and I'm just like, whoa, like who are those people? They're just doing going for it. Um, yeah, that was just like that was sort of I met the, that guy who I joined started that band with when I was sort of in that downs phase a bit from like hockey and stuff. And he just like we just had a really cool connection and just like fired up this new like inspiration. And he kind of had this, you know, in a, in a way he really kind of showed me one of the magics of like life coaching because he had this weird belief in me like I remember he turned to me one day in the hallway like when we first met and he said to me he was like you're the most important singer in rock and roll like you have something to say or something and like I kind of took it seriously like not like to my head but like I felt that he saw something in me that was real you know and it gave me it kind of gave me a confidence in a weird way or just like I was like I felt what he saw in a way you know what I mean and it was really cool so that band just started yet yeah, i sold my i sold all that music stuff that i accumulated like all the music gear and i moved to california and we were just going to start this band um and it was really exciting and fun and we made that yeah crazy video like in that video i'm with the that book the course in miracles i don't know if you know that book but that's just one of the books that's really um just been important in my development and still cool. is I, still... I don't know that book it's called the course in miracles um, yeah i'm a big fan of miracles myself so it sounds like it's right on brand for me yeah, uh, that is wild, dude. And what's that like for you uh, creatively collaborating versus doing solo material? Because I've been in bands before and I'm kind of, you know, I didn't reach quite the same trajectory hockey did, but I had a lot of experience like touring and going over to Europe and doing stuff like that. And mm -hmm. then I, I went through almost a similar process where after that band never really broke up, it just kind of dissipated because life happens, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I stopped playing live after that. So I haven't graced a concert hall. I don't think many people have played live in quite a few right. years now, you know? But, yeah. Uh, I got back to recording solo and kind of falling in love again with the creative process. And it's interesting because you're, you're kind of unlimited, I think, when you're solo and being able to communicate your vision. But then when you collaborate, 
other people will bring in parts that you never would have imagined. So there's this whole other chapter yeah. there, that whole magic. But can you just speak on a little bit the difference between like solo uh, writing and recording and performing versus collaborative? Yeah, I, at this point, I just love it all. I love the benefits or the excitement of both because um, I used to, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I like it both. <laughs> like burning up and reentry. That I literally had a dream of the of that song. It, came, it was like a dream of this guy was like singing me that song, and I just woke up. I recorded that song in like a week. It was done. That was it. But then some of the other songs on the album are like intense collaborations with other people, and like you said, surprises that are. So yeah, other people can really bring some interesting stuff to it. That's really fun. So I like to be open to it all at this stage in my life. You know, I feel like it's all about listening to ourselves. Like, what's, I don't know, exciting to us because there's no rules, you know? Like, maybe you should write. Maybe it works for someone to write alone for the next five years or, or never write alone for five years. But I think something that a lot of artists kind of labor over is like, how do you know when a song is finished, right? There's this sense of like, all art is abandoned. You don't necessarily finish it. And like, with sports, it's a zero sum game, I guess. It's like, there's a winner yeah. and there's a loser. But with a song, it's this very different process. And like, how do you know when a song is finished and you have a winner? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> but I, I, for me, I've never struggled that much with it. I just know, like, there's a time, it's like, I know for me, my process, my feeling, my intuition, this is the end of the road, boom, and it's done. And it has a satisfaction and there's no, this it. It's like it kind of captures like a magic in time and it's hard to recreate. I know I couldn't recreate it. I know I will never sing it better or more correctly. You know, it's like I will never like I might be more intelligent or more whatever or who knows whatever. I've progressed since I've sang Too Fake or whatever, an early hockey song. I don't need to sing it again. I won't sing it better. <laughs> you know, even if someone came and gave me the Nobel Prize tonight, I won't sing it better. You know what I mean? It's just like it's over. There's a producer that I really love who lives out in LA named Daniel Lenoir. And he worked on like a lot of the U2 albums and Bob Dylan. And I've had the good fortune of meeting him a few times and had some conversations about music and production. And something he said that really struck me was that in every recording and artistic process, there's gonna be peaks and valleys, right? There's these waves and that it's so important to finish on a peak. And that's when it's finished. It's like, and, and that's sort of artistic integrity or vision is like, you know, when that peak is, and then, when yeah. you're, so, you know, that sense of feeling is like, okay, well, not everyone can feel it. What are some ways, you know, to, to put yourself in that state? Like you wake up, you go on the rooftop, you drop some motivational Instagram stories and just get flowing. And then are you hitting the studio after that? Or are you taking care of the granularities of life? You know, the routines and the groceries and stuff like that? Or how do you put yourself in that state where you can feel it? And you're like, I'm open, I'm aligned and electric as you advocate yeah. for. How do you know that? Like know that I'm ready to create or get into a space to create. Yeah. How, how do you like take care of yourself to put yourself so that feeling is amplified and you know that you're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's a whole like, it is a holistic process and like, it's not linear, you know? It's like one one thing is gonna affect another thing. Like, I, man, it's so funny. Like, yeah, like, so, okay, if, if we're trying to, if we're trying to, um, and that's why sometimes like I go up on the roof and like there's so many angles of life, my mind just gets blown. Like I don't know which way to even begin, like what entrance point, like how do you get to a new cycle? Like there's different aspects, like, some are behavioral like just start doing it like make some time for yourself to make some fucking noise and don't care what you're gonna do like that's one way it's just behavior create this space for yourself where you're not gonna judge yourself turn up and do it in this time like that's one boom that's that will it will deliver you to a new state you know what i mean um but the other 
thing is like, you know, I, I after I go up on the roof, I'm usually, I spend the day like life coaching. That's what I do, like both private and through a company. And I'm so like enriched by that because I'm connected with people. I'm like essentially, yeah, I'm just, I'm with people all day communicating, not worrying about myself in that way. And that also, then when I'm done with that, I'm filled up and ready to like roar and do my thing. So, you know, it's like doing other things in life that are fulfilling can also open you up to new things. So I think it's just like any, basically the bottom line is just become like alive. Like don't listen to, you know, work with your doubts and fears from acceptance and peace, but don't listen to them. Don't let them steer your life in any direction. You know, make sure there's space to do things that are, you know, bring, make you feel alive and feel activated, whether that's in music or around that, that's, you know. That's awesome. And that's kind of the core tenet we were talking about with Denver, the life coach dog. I really like that recent illustration of him breaking through outcome dependence. And that's something yeah. like a lot of people have hangups on that. And it's so hard to be able to just allow yourself that freedom and permission to do you without yeah. worrying about that outcome. Cause you know, there's certain things obviously you could control but so much of it is, is out of our control. It's kind of how I feel. And I also, I see this reciprocity. I'm myself, I love being around people and communicating, you know? So um, even now I'm at the co-working space. It's like going to get coffee. I get to have these conversations with people. That's what makes me feel alive. And, you know, being able to wow. do podcasts yeah. and all that. Yeah. Pumped on it. Well, yeah. okay. So let's talk a little bit about and the life. I can feel your energies flowing, you know? Like you're excited. You're alive. I'm alive, <laughs> awesome. man. And let's talk a little bit about the life, the life coaching service, life coaching business. So that's a relatively new thing. I think maybe a year or two, and you've already got like a core group of clients. You mentioned is that something like you are you actively looking to take on more people or interested in working with more people or with groups or what does that life coaching practice look like for you? Um, right now I've got, yes, yeah, some private clients and then I also work for this other company. It's called Lyra Health and it's a, it's like a, um, they partner with big companies, um, big American companies to bring health um, benefits to their employees. So when their employees want therapy or life coaching, they go to this company, Lyra. So I, there's just like a flood of people from all these tech companies and I, it's not just tech, it's all sorts of companies companies like um, so that's one that's I see those people and private people all day and yeah and I also like through this new music thing I, I have been doing like a group coaching thing just for that's like for experiment because I'm not trained as a group coach or group leader and that's like me just like getting out there through like this Facebook page I started there's like a private Facebook where I do group coaching calls um, but that's what that that's what my life coaching zone looks like these days Dope. I know someone who works for Lyra. I'm pretty sure she's a therapist and she lives down here in Mexico with me. Uh, both of us used to live in San Francisco, so had some overlap in the community there. And she is doing exactly that. And during wow. uh, pan during the pandemic, I think a lot of the bigger tech companies gave unlimited therapy as one of the perks, one of the benefits. So there's a lot of people, you know, from like Tesla yeah. and Google and stuff like that who are just so I get to kind of hear a little bit about it. Obviously, you know, not not yeah. oversharing or anything like that. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've been noticing too, I have a number of friends and contacts in the psychedelic industry, which is a very weird way to phrase it still, but uh, therapy is huge now. And um, there's all these schools and programs launching for like teaching therapists and clinicians how to work with psychedelics, specifically yeah. with the integration of it, right? Is this as like preparation and integration because so many people are having these really impactful experiences and yeah. breaking through trauma and releasing trauma and you know feeling aligned and electric but then the question is like how do you make use of that you know how do, how do you to borrow the metaphor from your song bring yourself back to earth right 
Um, yeah. So I just, I'm yeah. noticing that and I've been having a lot of conversations with people in the therapy space and whatnot, uh, because it's still so new, right? Even though these are very old ancient substances, substances right. at least in the case of right. psilocybin mushrooms, it's like, how do you apply this to our hustle, bustle, modern culture in the West? Yeah, I know. That's such a good question because the, a lot of the wisdom and the states that you feel and those things, they're not what we learned and they're not what society reinforces and they're not, it's not the collective, like, you know, conscious, you know, the collection, collective feeling that you get when you just are out there. So integration is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, these integration circles that keep popping up are really awesome things. And I actually haven't had really a chance or made the time to join one, but I feel it knocking on my door. It's like, I see a couple people that I like who are involved in them. And they're really just these like, you know, circles of people who get together <laughs> and kind of support each other and talk about their psychedelic experiences and, and how they can sort of manifest that in this culture that devalues a lot of individualism a lot. You know, it's like, I, I, as you stated, I think a lot of the lessons that are imparted by these substances, they're not really reinforced in the current design of the way the world's set up. So it, it's been a really interesting kind of rise. Now, I think with the pandemic and with everything going on, uh, people are looking for answers because I think there's this collective confusion and identity crisis happening at a mass cultural scale of people who are having to you know, transition into so many different ways, the way they live, the way they work, the way they play. It's like almost completely different than you know, us who were born pre-internet and back in the 90s and the early yeah. 2000s. It's like we're almost a completely different species now with our habits and the way we're working. It's a trip. Yeah, you're right. We are, yeah, different species. It's true. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I would love to hear your thoughts on the Spotify streaming model. It's something I take a personal interest in about how music is consumed now. And I know there's been all kinds of different experiments, right? I was a big fan of Radiohead's Pay What You Want with uh, In Rainbows and you know, yeah. all these independent labels. I, I'm a big fan of like smaller, almost like farmer's market type music production and consumption as opposed to like mass chain stores is how I see it. But yeah. do you have any thoughts about like the Spotify streaming model, I'm just using that as example, or like how music is made and consumed in the business model, because it's very different than when, I think when you were with hockey and you guys were doing the Capitol Records thing. Um, yeah. Sure, sure, Capitol still exists, but I think that just like a whole different direction the music industry has gone in. Yeah, I mean, to I don't, I don't focus that much on that for myself, to be honest, or think that much about it, just because, it's, um, I don't, I'm not doing anything actively to create in that space or change it or make new models. So it would just be sort of, for like if there was something I didn't like about it, I don't know. I, I don't know how, I wouldn't be, I don't, I'm not doing anything about it <laughs> really, to be honest, I'm just making music. I think it would be cool if, you know, you just got more money for streams, I guess. Like, I, you know, that would be cool. Like whatever, there's, you know, artists and a lot of independent artists and you just don't get that much for streams. So I don't know if, I don't even know the economics of it if Spotify can scale to its degree and create a platform that doesn't have bugs and glitches and crashes and pay their pay artists more, probably that'd be cool. Just, you know, maybe like, I don't know, like probably a thousand percent more. I think you get like one, I don't know, just not a lot. <laughs> so that would be cool. But um, other than that, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting time for music. It is, it is like, there's so much me. The way I listen to music is just not the same either. Like I listen to all these like, just the YouTube playlists of like interesting, like wavy trap music and vaporwave music and chill music. Like I just love it. I don't even really know the artist. Sometimes I try and like, 
track them down and check it out but it's like it's just weird time it really is and i think there's some really cool stuff coming ahead though i believe in this sort of like roots level communication between people that's happening and um i, I noticed that here in mexico like i i had a issue with my car the other day and i run into my neighbors and they have the tools to help me and i was just like this is awesome dude i i believe in awesome. peer, peer-to-peer economy right well yeah uh, what is it that you see coming i'm just curious because i feel like you probably you're more tapped in than well, i am well, I see a lot of Michaelpreneurs, which is the name of the podcast, doing absolutely amazing things. And they're not doing it with the help of necessarily bigger companies or with, you know, government sponsors or NGOs or whatever. So an example of like an amazing Michaelpreneur is this woman, Josephine Nakakondi, that we had recently. And she's out in Uganda and she got a grant and learned how to mushroom farm uh, and grow oyster mushrooms. And she lives in abject poverty. Like we're talking like under a dollar a day you know, millions of people and immigrants or refugees from South Sudan, she learned how to mushroom farm. And then all these people from the mycology community started jumping in and helping her, sending supplies, helping her scale, coaching her through it. And the next thing you know, they've got over 400 women who formerly were abjectly impoverished, who now know how to grow oyster mushrooms, which is like one of the densest, most pure forms of protein. And you can grow it on agricultural waste and you don't need water. And like, that's just one small example. One thing I wanted to die. So the more people who are out there who are like recognizing, okay, there's huge potential with mushrooms, not just as food or as the psychedelic experience, but also from a material standpoint. So I I just had this woman who's a co-founder of a company in Australia. I haven't released the episode yet. And Uh we do mycocycling where they rescue plastic from landfills. And then they've developed these targeted mushroom strains that they can grow on the plastic and it actually eats the plastic and they can create products out of it. Mind blowing. One more crazy example is uh, there's a couple companies making acoustic paneling for recording spaces out of mushrooms. They're growing these things. And mycelium has really good like sound absorption and acoustic insulating properties. So I need that. Yeah, dude, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, you know, I just keep meeting these people who are doing these awesome things. And it's this like, wow, fuck around and find out, you know, it's this beautiful, like, yeah, it reminds me of like the early days of the computer industry, if I'm honest, uh, of people who are in their garages, like whiz kids. One final example of a, an amazing example of how a micropreneur can make an impact in the world is there's someone named William Padilla Brown that I'm a huge fan of. And this dude is, uh, you know, formerly incarcerated high school dropout. And he's one of the leading, like, cultivating uh, uh, experts and mushroom entrepreneurs in the world and has carved out this incredibly successful business. You know, they're flying him out to universities to speak to people. And I'm like, if that's yeah. not an example of the power of, you know, being able to tap into this stuff and work with it and radically improve your life and the lives around you, I don't know what is. Those are just a few like small examples. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. No, that's it's awesome. And I was checking out some of those episodes. Um, and there was the other one that uh, there was, seemed like there was someone who was creating, you know, an alternate form for like, you know, instead of cutting down certain types of trees that are more endangered and more harmful to the environment, they're creating, um, you know, different different material to make uh, furniture and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those the uh, housing. It's called structural insulated paneling. But like, you could quite literally build houses out of mushrooms. And a lot of the stuff's still in the prototype phase. You know, people are doing it, but it's not like right. commercially at scale, but like just the sheer amount of different people and companies that are popping up. It's like, there's this collective recognition that we have a, a huge ally in mushrooms and we're just scratching the surface. Like the more, and part of what I want to do with the podcast is just like have these dialogues 
and, and promote it to more people because it's that extrapolating power, you know, of like you get a few more people. I, I just had lunch with a former high school student. I was a high school teacher and he was telling me how he's like totally unfulfilled at his university in his freshman year. And the kid's super brilliant. And I'm just like, dude, just start looking into this stuff, you know, like look, look into this guy. This lady just built a kayak, you know, out of mushrooms. Like people are doing it. You can do it. And the best part is there's no gatekeepers. You don't need like permission. It's right. just like, just start right. trying it. Just start cultivating. Just see what you can make. You know, people are making surfboards, yoga mats, things like that. It's wild, dude. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I have questions about all this stuff. Well, just from talking to you, I can go do some research and find out more. Because I was like looking at your um, Instagram page, just like this is amazing, you know. And I didn't, you know, know about it. Yo, it's out here, man. We out here. Yeah. So yeah. let's go back. Let's go back for a second and talk about. Um, your days at Redlands, because I think that's really cool. And uh, I believe you were at the Johnston Center. Is that what it's called? And yeah. You kind of yeah. like design your own program right there. Uh, is that sort of how it works? And I'm imagining you were heavily involved in your creative music, creative process in those days. And what was that chapter of your life like to have that creative freedom, not to sit in a classroom and have someone tell you what you need to learn and what dates you need to memorize, but to be able to kind of like craft yeah. experience yeah i mean that was so cool like to leave because i came from new york and it was a much more like i was like sort of like at a prep school style place and so much competition and so much just sort of stress and about about everything and i, I felt you know i didn't I, I i felt i needed to just start again and get out so i did go i went to the west coast found the school and it was just amazing like all of a sudden it's just like you couldn't be too weird in the johnson center like weirdness was celebrated you know it was and that was really special like just to be in this community where you could just be, a, you could be anything. You could be a freak. You didn't have to be a freak. You just, it did not, it literally didn't matter. There wasn't even like a fake reverse ethos of like, you have to be weird. It literally, you could be what you want, like anything. And people would just embrace it. There wasn't that sort of judgmentalness and uptightness and competition at all. Competition was not present. And that was really cool. And so there, that I got to, you know, start singing for the first time in public without worrying about people thinking I was good or bad and all that was really awesome. Um, and then, yeah, but, and then that was just like the start. I mean, my later flourishing was uh, as far as just like having more fun and more fun and stuff came later. Like, yeah, this, I, I'm kind of a slow bloomer, I think. Right on. And is that sort of your current, I guess, coaching practice is that you're just, uh, it's all about having fun and reconnecting people to fun? Or let's say like, I, I'm interested in booking a session uh, without giving away too much of your intellectual property and whatnot. Uh, yeah, yeah. What does that look like? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, the, the funny thing is, is um, it's, it's not necessarily what I do on the roof. Like when I talk to people, it's just, it is about them and it is about me listening to them and drawing it out of them. I don't have a, I don't have a paradigm or as a model that I put people through. It's, it's very unique. It's just like about, I listen to the people I talk to, whoever they are. I notice what is, what we are saying. I hear the resonance of how you're saying it. I'll reflect it back. I ask questions. We grow, we make a real relationship. I, where I care about them and want them to, you know, grow in the ways that they're wanting and it just builds that up over time over sessions over sessions and it's awesome and it's it's fun so that's where i'm at now it isn't it isn't um prescriptive very much sometimes i will give some like speech or some i will give some of myself or some of my ideas and stuff when it's right but it's all about the person if a person you know it's all about that relationship and that is where it's at now um word yeah well i see that i mean i think that being a good listener is going to also make you 
kind of an awesome artist in some ways. Like I've been trying to focus more, like uh, you mentioned some of the ways you consume music and the artists you're listening to. I love vinyl. I have a vinyl collection. Like what I love about vinyl is it kind of forces you to have a relationship with the product. Yeah. I think that like we live in this culture with and going back to the Spotify and the streaming model. Those are tight too. I've got some dope Ben Wyeth songs, you know, on my playlist, on my Spotify yeah. playlist. But with vinyl, I love just like holding the physical artifact. And I've always compared it to like a fine wine collection. You know, like I have my vinyl and it's visible and it's a conversation piece too. Like people come over, I'm like, yo, let's put a record on. And I've been very fortunate to travel around the world. I've, I've um, you know, traveled everywhere pretty much. And I, I started finding vinyl shops, like in little, you know, even uh, in the yeah. back of a shoe repair store in India, New Delhi, I found like one of the oldest vinyl shops from like the 1930s. So I'm just like picking out Bollywood music and, you know, and wow. I, I like to like post little stories when I'm doing stuff like that and people will hit me up. My friend in Nashville is like, dude, can you send me some Indian vinyl records? I'm like, I wouldn't have had that experience, that type of connection, roots level connection. But um, yeah, dude, I, now that I think about it, I got to get a hockey album on vinyl. I don't have any. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that like relationship where you have to be intentional about crafting a relationship with your music. Yeah. I just heard yeah. um, the Black Keys on the Joe Rogan podcast. I saw a snip of it, snippet of it, and they were talking a little bit about like what the label was asking them to do and like these sort of almost pay to play models that they were kind of being shepherded into. And, you know, they went a different direction. So they didn't have the same level of promotion they did in their earlier days. Super interesting to hear how people are navigating that because it's different for everyone. They're like, we want people who listen to the Black Keys to have us be one of a hundred artists they listen to and they have a relationship with. It's not like we're trying to dominate and we're like, oh, you know, we need to be front and center everywhere. It's like, we just want to be in that queue of great artists that people have an intentional relationship with. And that's how I try to be with music is like, focus on finding artists I really like and building a relationship and a rapport with their catalog. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. All right, man. Well, I, um, we kept it pretty loose here. Like, I, I think uh, got a few other talking points, but like, I think we hit everything that I kind of wanted to focus on. Um, maybe there's there's one. Is there anything you want to touch on or like shout out to people um, at, uh, while while you're here? I don't know. I mean, for for me, like, I don't know. Just like when you're talking about like the life coaching stuff, it's just like I don't know. I just feel it's interesting to talk about like. I wish I could. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Like, I don't know if you've ever worked with a coach or anything like that, but like versus like prescriptive models versus like talking models where the person is listening and drawing things out of you versus like you going to someone for their expertise and their reflection. Well, here's an awesome kind of entry point there is one of the podcasts we did was with this dude, Colin Wells, who is the founder of a group called Veterans Walk and Talk. And they're heavily I active. That out. Yeah. Uh -huh. I have, I'm so blessed and humbled to be in support of that community. And uh, I, when I was in San Diego last couple of weeks, I just traveled back to California and I was actually up in Redlands last weekend. Um, mm -hmm. I, I went out to walk with them. And what it is, is it's about 30 to 50 veterans at a time who get together and take microdoses of different plant medicines and they go hiking together. And this like therapy model is not just about like, you take mushrooms and everything's okay. Or, you know, it's more about like, we're in nature and community and these yeah. mushrooms are kind of lowering the barriers that people have. And all of a sudden, you know, people will start talking about something that they've held on to for the last 10 years. And it's like, you know, they'll, I, they'll share something just because you, you're outside, you're in community. And then those plant medicines can act as the conduit to being in touch and being like, fuck, I want to talk about this. You know, like I, I'm not able. So I think that's a great example of like, 
a model that works. And uh, in particular, the veteran community has been ravaged. You know, the suicide rate is like 120,000 veterans have committed suicide since the initiation of force in Iraq and Afghanistan, and only 7,000 have been killed in action. So, so you're talking about, you know, 20 times, almost 20 times as many people killing themselves as are, but these medicines are very powerful and very potent in that community. So I think that's a great example. I, and, I, and that's starting to pop up elsewhere too, these integration circles and whatnot, where I think that's what we need is like therapy works, but even that, like a lot of people are averse to sharing things, you know, or there, there's that yeah. whole dynamic. But um, so I, I see that as being a potentially hugely yeah. valuable model to everyone, no matter what position. Yeah, I mean, what I hear and what you're saying that's so key is like, is um, just those two things working together, you know, meaning like the mushrooms kind of open up um, new dimensions of life, like open, l limit those um, inner boundaries that, that people might have. And, and But then there's also that human context of support and love and caring that that can further unfold and, and be grounded in, you know, in a sense, really is really powerful, you know, and so, um, yeah, just touching on that. It's the same thing, like when I have, uh, you know, like I'm into all these spiritual practices and spiritual books and meditating and, and notice, like I talk about sometimes, like no self and like find, being free because I don't have to worry about, you know, my own images of myself and that kind of stuff, which is something I love. But then when you go into a session again, you have to make it real again. I can't just preach some stale thing that I read in a book or thought about on the roof. I need to let go again and be with the person and listen again and bring it back to earth and ground it with like actual like love in the moment caring you know so it's like all those things working in harmony um so i don't know it's just what it got me thinking of awesome dude well i think just uh we kind of covered everything i wanted to dive into and thanks so much for yeah. joining us today ben wife we really appreciate your energy i really appreciate your integrity and everything you do and i'm gonna keep watching those instagram stories and try to spread the love awesome thanks so much this is awesome there's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at mycopreneur podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Mycopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.